With the holidays around the corner, now's your chance to save time and money at Safeway Stock Up Sale. Plus, earn four times gas reward points on participating items. Look for tags on items like Honey Nut Cheerios. Select varieties are four for eight dollars with your club card. And select varieties of Betty Crocker Cake Mix, Brownie Mix, or Frosting are ten for ten dollars with your club card. Maximum gas reward at participating Sunoco stations is twenty cents per gallon and one dollar per gallon at Safeway stations in a single fill of up to twenty-five gallons. Other restrictions, limitations, and exclusions apply. For complete details, go to Safeway.com. Hello and welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. I am your host, Howard Megdahl, reminding you there are a myriad of ways to follow us, either on Twitter, at Locked On WBB. You can like us on Facebook, uh, at Locked On Women's Basketball. Make sure to subscribe to us, either via iTunes or your podcast, Listen of Choice. Uh, We are here today with uh, an absolute legend in the game of basketball, someone I am extremely honored to get the chance to talk to and someone uh, who has been working with me over the past 20 minutes or so uh, to get the technology just right uh, to be able to make this recording. So, Coach Jim Foster uh, from Tennessee Chattanooga, thank you so much for being on the program and thanks for bearing with us through all of the technical difficulties. Uh, thanks, appreciate that, but I, I, uh, if there's any credit due for me helping in the last 20 minutes, 1% me and 99% you, so let's fire on. I'm glad you're here just the same. So, I'd like to start, uh, you, you grew up, you, you were in the suburbs of Philly like I was, uh, growing up, uh, what was it that first drew you to the game of basketball? What are some of your earliest memories of basketball and what really is a factory for the sport? Well, I, I, I think like many young people, at, 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 I was just drawn to athletics, whether it was uh, I mean, I, in my youth, I played youth baseball, youth football, youth basketball, etc. But basketball was sort of something that uh, really had uh, piqued my interest um, from an early age. And I had people sort of pushing me in the coaching direction as as young as uh, 13. Um, Tell me about uh, that. At, at, at what is it uh, that, our, to have a 13-year-old yeah. being urged to go into coaching? Yeah. Obviously, it's something you were meant to do in a fundamental way given all the success you've had but how did that come about well i, I actually I, I i was coaching at 13 my really? we we had we had formed a cyo basketball program at my parish and uh, we started the season and about halfway through the season not having had any success uh, the fellow that was coaching us quit uh, coaching us and the parish priest um, Father Connaughton informed me that I would be coaching the team the rest of the year so uh, as <laughs> he said yeah, we'll get you to the games but you coach the, you coach the, the team so how, how much of a uh, challenge is it to build authority as a 13 year old coach I uh, you know I, I, I was probably one of the few players that could pass, catch, and dribble, so it was kind of easy because the ball was going to be in my hand. <laughs> Understood. Well, so now you, yeah. tr- you transitioned uh, at a certain point. I, I know you coached high school boys basketball and high school girls basketball. 
what was it about the women's game that drew you to it and were you surprised to see your career move in that direction at that time yeah yeah it was never it was never a planned movement at that time i was for two years i a fellow by the name of ed holzer hired me i was his assistant for the varsity and i coached the junior varsity team and um he actually had a car accident, and um, he was unable to continue coaching. And in the interim, the the girls' athletic director uh, approached me and asked me if I would be interested in coaching the girls' varsity. And I I said, uh, sure. I mean, I just it was an opportunity to continue coaching. Sure. Uh, I coached the I coached the boys, you know, for two years in some form or manner, and then. Um, made the transition. So uh, you're doing this in the 1970s. You're doing it right in the wake uh, of Title IX. How new and I guess how novel was it across the board uh, to be seeing the kind of growth uh, that there was in the women's game at that time? And and what was that like for you to see, to be sort of a person who was present at in many ways, the beginning of what we know of as the modern uh, sport of women's basketball. Well, I, I would say um, I think just the, just the approach um, by the athletic director to uh, have me uh, coach the team, I think, was sort of a mindset of we in his mind, we we can do better than we've been doing. I think this fella can help us do that, and um, that was sort of the start. But I, I again, I'm in my third year of coaching uh, at that level, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, you just you just start forward. I hired an assistant, and uh, he he coached the JV team and helped me, and I turned out to be uh, he was a nice. A good player and a real very nice guy, but he wasn't. Uh, he he didn't have the patience necessary to be uh, a teacher of, of a group that needed a lot of teaching. Mm. This was not a ready. This was not a ready-made group. Right. Um, so we had a lot of a lot of freshmen on the varsity and um, struggled a little bit that year. And then the next year, uh, I hired uh, uh, Gino. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't. It, uh, it took me quite a while to talk him into it, to be frank with you. But uh, I, I, I did, and uh, you know, we were together those the next two years at the high school, and um, that that next uh, year, um, I was called by St. Joe's, and they asked me if I'd be interested in coaching their women's team, and uh, I. I jumped at that opportunity and uh, Gino went with me and we spent that first year together there so we were we were together for years um, both learning how to coach and so this Gino Oriema I, I hear he's gone on to do a couple things uh, in, in the profession yeah. <laughs> since then mm-hmm. I, I, I'm curious why you think because uh, Gino is someone who you hired and then when Gino left uh, mm-hmm. you, you brought in Muffet McGraw so you know, mm-hmm. between them, responsible for, you know, many, many hundreds of victories there. 
Is that something that you attribute to your ability to pick talent? Is that something you attribute to, look, there was a significant amount of coaching talent at this time in this spot, you know, in in the Philadelphia area, just because it is such a basketball hotbed between uh, you and Muffet and Gino, uh, or, or is it something else altogether? Well, one of the things that attracted me in the direction of Gino was um, uh, the two years I had coached the boys uh, junior varsity, the most impressive uh, team that I that I coached against was Bishop Kenrick High School, mm-hmm. and that's where Gino went to school, and Buddy Gardler at that time was the coach there, and I just about how they played, their execution, their ball movement, just everything about it that I thought was uh, uh, interesting and and the, the thought that Gino had played for him, that that would be beneficial, uh, sort of expanding my thought process too about the game. Uh, so it was that experience that, that uh, had me want to have Gino. And uh, regards to Muffet, it was... Uh, there was a year between Gino and Muffet, and uh, I had made a hard choice. I had cut my best player uh, and had our, my only losing season at St. Joe that year. Uh, was in search of a, an assistant, and Muffet had been, had played professionally, had played at St. Joe, and at that time was a high school coach, uh, uh, a hop, skip, and a jump from, from uh, St. Joe and I um, uh, talked to her and, and, and she came aboard. So, do you, do you feel in both of these cases a uh, sense of propriety, uh, a pr- proprietary uh, ownership of what's happened in both of their careers? Do you feel a sense of pride that goes with that and do you feel a certain responsibility for getting these, these icons uh, started every bit as much as you've been an icon in the game yourself? I, 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 I wouldn't look at it or phrase it that way. Do I... Um, uh, their successes, I certainly, certainly uh, am happy for both of them. I watch... Uh, I love watching uh, their teams play, and I, I I just think Gino's what he's accomplished has has really enhanced the game of women's basketball and taken it to another standard and another level that I I think uh, instead of maybe uh, denigrating or being negative about it, it's 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 you should be nothing but positive about it because it's the game that they play is of such a high level and no it should be everyone everyone else's attempt to get there. Yeah. Um, but he sets the he sets the bar very high. And uh, and Muffet knows one that has pursued uh, uh and and gotten after that uh success and, 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 and has had you know her own level of success there. I, I, absolutely and, and but I, I don't want to lose sight of talking about your level of success as well. And one of my favorite facts uh, about your career is you're one of two coaches uh, in, in the history of the game to win 200 games, three different programs. And the first of those being St. Joe's, uh, where, like you said, you were hired in 1978. Take me back, if you could, to when you are hired 
you know, you talked about setting that level, but here we are six years after uh, Title IX. What is the idea of what the program ought to be and what were expectations both from administration toward you and for you yourself when you get to St. Joe's? Well, first of all, I had to get my college degree because I was an undergraduate at Temple. Mm -hmm. I, I got I got a late start. Uh, um, spent three years in the Army, and the GI Bill was my vehicle for um, uh, my college education. But I I was at the time uh, a junior um, at Temple, mm -hmm. and I graduated. I think I was thirty or thirty-one. I'd have to really sit down and think about it, which I'm not going to do. Sure. Uh, <laughs> um, and I, 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 it was the transformational time. Uh, my first year at St. Joe, we were AIAW. Mm -hmm. uh, then we went we went into the NCAA. Um, and we were sort of not having a conference loosely configured, and then all of a sudden we were in the Atlantic 10. Uh, with uh, the likes of uh, Rutgers, Penn State, Temple, West Virginia, and if you can, those those schools spend more on, you know, office furniture for football than we do for our whole athletic program, probably at that time. For sure. And and, and uh, not really um, having. Um, Scholarships. We had some tuition scholarships, so we had to work our way. We're in. We're in a league with those power brokers. They're all offering full rides. We're offering partials, um, and then trying to build a program within the framework of that, and getting to the point where the school made the commitment to give us full scholarships. And now, um, by the time we get our feet on the ground, uh, we we have a, a terrific run of success. Uh, and I, I think for six years in a row with the smallest school in the NCAA tournament. That's right. Um, and, 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 and those days, less schools, 28 schools, 32 schools. It was way before the advent of 64 teams going to the tournament. Mm -hmm. and, and, and again, doing it in six straight years, starting in 1985 uh, when you won the A-10, was it a surprise to you that you were able to take that St. Joe's program and, and build it where there's no model for success, really, because the, the well, women's program just had never, had not existed in that realm. Well, it, it had to a degree. Of, one of the things that I constantly tell young coaches is don't think you're going to change a culture by yourself. Mm -hmm. um, St. Joe had, had historically had been a very successful basketball school. True. Going back to you know the 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 30s and you know what Jack Ramsey accomplished there, Jim Lynham, Jim Boyle, etc. Mm -hmm. Phil Mortelli still could have stayed. Yeah. Well, because the men were successful, Donde Joey was the athletic director who hired me. He's still the athletic director. He he had, he left and went away for a little while, but came back. But um, St. Joe gets it. They get and understand. Um, how you uh, need to, to to compete, not to the level financially. They don't get it that way. Right. There's just a culture there. There's just a culture there, and a history um, 
that that understands the nuances, subtle things you have to do at a school that size to be successful. Do you do you think that that is in general true? That uh, because there there is no one to one correlation, obviously, between men's success and women's success. But you know, I've talked to Corey Close out at UCLA about this, uh, about the extent to which uh, the Wooden years, and frankly, Wooden himself had an impact there. And you can certainly trace the rise in what UConn has done uh, on the men's side with Jim Calhoun with what they've done on the on, on the women's side with Gino. Do you think that makes a difference or and do you think it's determinative? I think it makes a difference that the school understands and cares about the sport. There are a lot of schools that have great success on the men's end but don't, uh, in my opinion, care enough about the other side of the hallway. Um, and they'll bend over backwards to make sure they have all the bells and whistles at the one end and, and, and not the other. And quite frankly, I think it's one of the things that uh, sort of stagnates the growth of our game overall in that um, unlike mid-majors with men's basketball, mid-majors with women's maybe don't create the kind of opportunity uh, from a financial point of view uh, uh, it, it's certainly not equal. So a lot of the long-term uh, assistant coaches who are very talented in their own right don't make that jump to the mid-major that you see happen in the men's game. You know, Mike Bray at Notre Dame was at Delaware before he was there. Uh, Tommy Amaker took a shot at Seton Hall before he, he was uh, um, at Michigan. Uh, Lorenzo. Uh, was at St. Louis before he was at Washington. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and and you just see that all the way through, and a lot of times you don't see that jump in, in, the, uh, in the women's game, and I think it's finances, to be quite frank. I think no. some places care enough, and others uh, don't want to be bothered. So is there a solution to that in your mind, when you, when you think big picture about it? Uh, number one, do you, do you see that as having gotten better, at least to a certain extent. I mean, you, you think about your career arc and moving to Vanderbilt and Ohio State, and now here you are at Chattanooga. And so obviously you are, in, 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 in many ways, building a potential pathway for a lot of other extremely successful coaches uh, to make the move to mid-major. Do you think it is improving, or do you see it as... Uh, sort of a status quo compared to even, let's say, a decade or two ago? I think it depends on the place and the individuals that you're working with. I think uh, Chattanooga is a place that has cared historically about women's basketball. Yeah. Um, uh, and David Blackburn, who was the uh, athletic director that hired me here, uh, came from the University of Tennessee, so he obviously knew what successful uh, women's programs look like. And he had a passion for it. And I, I love going to work with or for people that have a passion for what you do. And when I'm in that environment, I, I, I totally enjoy and feed off their enthusiasm. Uh, but there's, there's a lot of uh, administrations out there that don't have that sort of enthusiasm for what it is you do. Do you think it just comes down to needing to see more of these programs be able to monetize? I, I'm thinking specifically of a uh, place like South Carolina, 
that uh, Under Dawn has has built not just a winning program, but an infrastructure where you know they get ten thousand people a game uh, coming, and they travel yeah. extremely well. And so making it clear and clear that uh, Pat Summits Tennessee was not a unicorn. And that whether it's UConn, whether it's South Carolina, whether it's these other programs, that there's money to be made. And even at the mid-major level, uh, let's say not built to perhaps the same scale, but being able to build in such a way that you develop that core support of fans, you develop the boosters to go along with it, and you're able to turn it into uh, a financial engine for a school. Well, again, sometimes the right person, the right place. Uh, Boston said that regards to Gino and uh, probably saying that regards to Muffin. And I'm going to say it in regards to Dawn. Dawn's family's from South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Dawn's had a passion for this game and has been a leader um, with from her time as a player in Virginia to her time as a player in the WNBA. Um, highly successful coach at Temple um, relative to their history. Uh, she put an awful lot of uh, banners on the ceiling and then goes to South Carolina and does the same thing. But Dawn also um, is, is probably as savvy and shrewd uh, a user of the modern media. Mm-hmm. Um, he knows it, she understands it, and, and, and uh, her commitment to that, I think, allows her to tap into a lot of resources uh, and opportunity that others have not uh, either had the ability to because the technology wasn't advanced, but she, again, right person, right time, right techniques to to jump in and, and uh, sort of fill the void as Tennessee uh, it has been struggling. South Carolina has certainly taken their place uh, as the dominant program in the SEC. No question about it. And, and, and it's been fascinating to see. I'm curious, though, what your thought process was and your end game was uh you move on from ohio state and uh some people thought you might consider leaving the game altogether and said you go to chattanooga and you've been remarkably successful there uh, i'm wondering what your thought process was about what you wanted chattanooga to be when you came in and, and I, i'll frame it this way uh, Gino spoke just recently about this, about how Chattanooga, quote, may, may not be the place where you'd expect to win a national championship. Uh, is that how you thought about it when you came there? And if so, what were you thinking were the medium and long-term goals at the program for you? Well, obviously, to continue the great success they've had and then to try to uh, take it one more step, and to me, the one more step is to not only get in the NCAA tournament, but to you know to win some games, um, which is the reason you know we've scheduled the way we've scheduled this year. Um, you're, that's you're going to play those level of teams in March if you are fortunate to get in the tournament. So why not get a history in your players' mind of playing against that level, so that they understand exactly what that means. Uh, I think playing against Connecticut the last two years has been very, very uh, good for us because of their intensity, their commitment to the moment, and uh, they don't take anything for granted. They just keep coming at you. And it's hard to uh, 
get people to understand that what that really means unless you expose them to the environment. And I think our team has uh, grown from those experiences. Uh, we, you know, we're on break now with exams, and we've had uh, an absolutely great week of practice. And the intensity is of a very, very high level. And uh, I think we've played very well since coming back. You know, we got a player back. We tweaked a couple things. That has something to do with it. But I think who we played has made us tougher. Who we played has made us play harder for and, longer and, periods of time. And I mean, it, it's hardly as if Connecticut is the only challenge on your schedule. And this is what you've done really since year two, which I'm assuming is the first year you had some say over the non-conference slate. Um, you know, a lot of coaches inherit uh, the yeah. slate from their predecessor. But I, I saw you guys in person uh, open up at Rutgers, which uh, is not an easy place to go in and win, even even in a year uh, where where Rutgers is down a little bit. But Florida, Indiana, you played Louisville, uh, you got Notre Dame coming up as well. Are these are, are these games having a collective impact, not just this year but year over year? Because you're you're a mainstay in the tournament. Uh, and, and had a very winnable, uh, winnable in the sense that even though it was a challenge, you guys were right there, uh, first round game last year. Do you see the team better able to handle those high major challenges uh, early on this season? Yeah, I think for all extent, I would, to be frank with you, I'd love to have about three or four more of them on our radar right now. Mm-hmm. Um, what we learned and how and what some players have learned has made us a better basketball team uh chelsea shumpert our 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 now point guard had was quasi a point guard Mm -hmm. but she had the first year that she played here she had taylor hall one of the smartest players i've coached in my 39 years and and would refer to her as a point forward and then the next year Kayvon Towns took over the point guard, and Alicia Payne is playing next to Chelsea. But Chelsea's never had that responsibility of being the person. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, she had to make some changes between the years in order to be successful in that in that vein. And to her credit, she has. And, and she's sort of, you know, our phrase is play the game for others. And uh, she had been a scoring guard played on a lot of teams that they had to have her score a lot of points for them to win. But she's she's a pretty good playmaker, and she's pretty good at breaking down defenses and getting into the lane. She's just making some things happen uh, this year that she didn't before. It allowed us to move a freshman, uh, Lakeland, to, to the, the shooting guard position. All of a sudden, she's flourishing. Mm-hmm. You know, but we have players now in natural positions uh, where they're comfortable and we're a better basketball team. And, and Chelsea seems like, it, it seems like the uh, ability to make those plays makes her almost a, a combo guard for you rather than your your classic one. Uh, w- she, she missed some time with an ankle injury as well earlier this year, correct? Yeah, she got hurt in the Louisville game and then missed yeah. uh, uh, the, the main game and the Connecticut game. Yeah, for, for sure. And, you know, with it, we're... we're Depth can, is not one of our issues or, or right. one of our strengths at that point. It, it, and it's evolving into maybe it is going to be one of our strengths 
And again, playing those teams early, you get a more honest assessment of your team. You get a more honest assessment, as do the players, if they're willing to deal in reality. Uh, you, you play real good teams, you got to play real hard, and you got to do things a certain way to be successful. If you don't play teams like that and you play teams that you are just better than, uh, you don't have to learn how to play for 40 minutes. You don't have to learn, you know, the, some of the subtleties and nuances are really important because you don't need them as often or as much. And, and when you play a good one, you, you, you better have them. And, and I guess the flip side to that, whether it's Chelsea, whether it's, you know, a rim protector like you have in Jasmine Joyner, are you seeing players at Chattanooga that you, you believe can and should be able to move up to the next level? And can Chattanooga be a gateway to playing uh, at the WNBA level, playing at some of these high-level uh, international teams as well? I, I think I think we got some people scratching the surface there, and I... Uh, my contention is there's there's another 300 players good enough to play in the WNBA, mm-hmm. um, but it's it's time, place, circumstances, coaching, uh, style of play, etc. Um, so you, there's an old adage in this business: sometimes you're only as good as the coach thinks you are. Um, mm-hmm. and, and and there's a lot of players that have been in that league for a long time um, that some fresh blood wouldn't be a bad thing. Right. Right. Well, it would be fascinating to see uh, how it plays out, especially for Jasmine, where it seems, really in both cases, they bring skills to bear on the league that are multi-positional, it seems to me, and that seems like the direction the WNBA has headed in a fundamental way as well. So when you think of developing them, do you have that in mind as part of uh, your job as a coach to uh, maximize them as players? Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, uh, and the more versatile they can become, the more versatile you become. You know, I'm not, we're not a coach who recruits a big body and tells them not to move, you know, don't go more than three feet from the basket, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, 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 I want you to be able to do a lot of things. Um, and do them at a, at a high level. Well, listen, it's part of what makes it so much fun to watch your teams, you know, wherever uh, you've coached and certainly here as well. Now, in April, you had a contract extension through the 2021-22 season. When you sign a contract like that, do you start to think in terms of what the long-term goals are at Chattanooga and how and when you're going to reach them? And, and if so, what, what was going through your mind about that tenure? Well, I would say this to you. When you reach a certain age, uh, long-term plans don't necessarily uh, uh, occupy a lot of your thought. The, the, the moment in front of you and what you're doing at, uh, at this point in time is what drives you. Um, uh, we want to we want to get in the NCAA tournament. We want to win in the NCAA tournament. That that's kind of an easy, long range, and short term uh, goal. Uh, we're in charge of a couple of things. We're in charge of scheduling. Uh, 
uh, and we just have to keep our players occupied and 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 we're going to have to go to somebody's court you know and the how the NCAA tournament is framed in the women's end of it is you're going to play on somebody's home court and it's going to be a very good team and it's probably going to be someone from the southeastern conference mm-hmm. um, now I, I i i wish it weren't that way i wish we could give our players more of a travel experience I, you know i'd love to go out and play in Seattle against University of Washington or, you know, at Berkeley, uh, et cetera. It'd be great opportunity and experience for our kids to uh, uh, not necessarily always have to make a bus trip at this at that time of year. True, although it might not that, be. That's might, a whole philosophical discussion. That's true. It might not be fun to game plan against Kelsey Plum or Christine Inigwe, though. That would be. Uh, oh, no, 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 that's it. Hey, listen, if you game plan against Brianna Stewart, you know, what What? what, what the heck, <laughs> what, what's the challenge there for that? Very true. Very true. <laughs> well, listen, I, I guess the, the thought I have at this point, I'm wondering whether this is the case for you, would winning a couple of games at Chattanooga in the NCAA tournament mean more to you than even some of the NCAA success you had at Ohio State, just because of where you'd be doing it, because of the perspective you have now. I think it's all relative to the the group you had. Uh, did you maximize the team you had? Um, you know, I, I, one of the things that we've done on a consistent basis for the 39 years is uh, we recruit. Uh, kind of players you, you 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 would like to coach for the most part, and then you 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 do that, and and you see if you can maximize them. Um, you know, a lot of people say, "Well, you come here and you're going to win the national championship. Come here and you're going to do this and do that." Uh, quite frankly, there's only one person who can say that right now. Uh, a lot of people can say it. There's only one person where it really matters. Uh, when you when you have that kind of dominance, so you have to you have to figure out what your motivation is and what your goal is. And if it is to win a national championship, then you better be mirroring what Connecticut does. Yeah. Uh, because if you do anything short of that, you're not going to be successful. Uh, you got to get your team to play really, really hard, really, really smart, and to understand that showing up every night is important. And uh, that's a difficult thing to do. So you, you, you better, a lot of people verbalize they want to do this and they want to do that. But you know what? Uh, you better be ready to, to, to change your own lifestyle uh, if that's what you aspire to. Well, listen, certainly no one knows better about how to make goals and achieve them in this game uh, than you, Coach. So I, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me uh, about where the season is and about uh, your remarkable career. So thank you so much for being on the program today. I appreciate it. Thank you. And just a reminder to our listeners, you can follow us on Twitter at LockedOnWBB. Go ahead and like us on Facebook, uh, Locked On Women's Basketball, and make sure you subscribe on iTunes or your podcast listen of choice to be absolutely certain that whenever the newest show comes up, you get it right away. I am your host, Howard Megdahl, wishing you a wonderful day.